0: Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'm Anne and with co-host Bill, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We'd like to pay our respects to elders past and present and to acknowledge that sovereignty over this land was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drug, alcohol gambling, food and other addictions. Our guests share their recovery stories and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today the focus is on Al-Anon family groups. Al-Anon is a fellowship of relatives and friends of alcoholics who share their experience, strength and hope in order to solve their common problems. Al-Anon believes that alcoholism is a family illness and that changed attitudes can aid recovery. This week I'm joined via WhatsApp by Rhonda. Rhonda's a member of Al-Anon Family Groups from a city in Alberta, Canada. That city is Grand Prairie. Welcome, Rhonda. Hi. Hi. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for um, coming to speak uh, virtually, to speak to the people of Melbourne today. Um, Can we start um, by, uh, today you're going to tell us your your story of um, uh, living with an alcoholic and your recovery from the effects of that. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about where you grew up?
1: um all well, i was i was born in ontario which is on the other side of the country but for the most part i grew up here in grand prairie alberta came here when i was six um so i've, I've lived here my whole life uh people keep telling me i should move but i don't know that any place is better than this i'm you know familiar my home and my job is here and um most of my family has moved away from here but uh i'm still here and you know it's it's not a bad place it's uh it gets pretty cold sometimes in winter but uh it's all right mm-hmm. I'm used to it it's beginning of so winter there now isn't it? I, it is yeah. yeah we we just uh, we have snow on the ground but it was it's, it's warm enough
0: it's been melting it so but it's it's a pretty nice place I yeah. like it here that's good yeah. um yeah. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, any difficulties that you had with problem drinkers in your childhood
1: well my father took four of us children away from our mother in Ontario and he moved us out here and he he just never came home. He was always busy drinking and never really looked after us. So um, I grew up in a world of alcoholism. Um, I don't remember much of my childhood before I came here, before six. But my father was always drinking, and I remember from here. And he probably was before that just that we had our mother there, so I guess it, we didn't pay much attention to that. But when we came here and he left us alone and we pretty much raised ourselves, you know, alcoholism has been a problem my
0: whole entire life. Mm-hmm. And, and what was his reason for taking you away from your mother? Uh, to be honest with you, what he told me was
1: possession is nine-tenths of the law. Mm. So therefore, if he had them, he was keeping them. And the story that I heard was... Um, she wanted to keep two kids, and he wanted to keep two. And he said, "No, they're all staying. They're all staying together." So he took us so that we would all stay together. Mm-hmm. And how many kids were there, Miranda? There was four of us, and we were all within a five-year span.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we were all pretty close in age. Mm-hmm.
0: And can you tell yep. us uh, what that alcoholism was like? How it played out in your family home? Um. Well. I believe there's a difference between a father and a
1: dad. And I have a father, but I never had a dad. I don't think he, he, he used us as possessions to get what he wanted. So we um, we were just pawns in the game he was playing um, in this divorce with my mother. So like, he never, there were times we did not have food to eat in our house. We did not have decent clothes to wear to school. Um, there was no supervision. Uh, we were left to fend for ourselves, um, and we just did what we wanted to do, and we got away with it because no one was there. Mm. Except that when we did something bad, he somehow learned those things, and then we paid the price for that. But other than that, I don't think it just seemed like he didn't even notice that we were there.
0: Mm-hmm. And how so did how did, how did you, how did you where did you come in the family? Were you the eldest or? I am the second oldest, but I'm the oldest girl. Mm-hmm. So we had a, a boy, a girl, a boy, and then a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that that uh, neglect and being left to your own devices and not having enough uh, food and clothing, how did you cope with that? Uh, to be honest
1: with you, I don't know. We just did. Uh, I know that them, we were our own best friends because we had to look after each other. So um, we may do when we didn't have food to eat. Um, well, we just, there was nothing we could do about that. I know when we were, we were young, we, um, we had a ringer washer. I'm not sure if we had a dryer, but we had a ringer washer and us kids learned to use it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember about the ringer washer, yes. but you know, the clothes went through those ringers. And if you weren't careful and your fingers, your went apart, fingers they went would go into. right, we were, we were pretty good at popping the end of that thing to pop those ringers apart. And one day my sister got her arm caught in there and we weren't fast enough and that just spun on her arm. She still has a scar on her arm Mm -hmm. from that. Mm -hmm. I mean, so that's just stuff we did. And when that ringer washer didn't work, we would take it apart and fix it because we needed to have it working. So we didn't know how to fix it, but somehow we managed to figure things like that out. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So you become self-reliant and you figure out things. So, you know, we get to be kind of mechanical and, you know, um, kind of resourceful and... You know, we just go to school with whatever we had clothes Mm. to wear. We just went. Mm
0: -hmm. And how was school under those
1: conditions? (laughs) Um, I never really had friends in school. I was kind of an outcast. And, you know, I look back on that now and go, yeah, who wants to hang out with the kid who looks like that? But it was really important for me to go to school. And I've learned through Al-Anon
0: that um, that's where I felt safe. Mm hmm. Right. Yep. And what was it? What was the safety that school was giving you?
1: Um, to be honest, I, I don't know. Um, mm. I, I I couldn't even tell you, I just I just feel that it was something I had to do. Mm-hmm. And there were days where I, I, I had to stay home to babysit my little sister because she wasn't in school yet. Mm-hmm. And those days, I, I still remember being angry about that. Mm-hmm. really angry and resentful. And I, and I realized today I still have resentments against her over that mm-hmm. when it wasn't her fault, mm. right? Mm.
0: And, and so was it a, a belief in education or was it more a belief in, in the order or, or going where they were responsible adults? Was it something like that?
1: You know, I think that um, at school they cared about me. And I remember, even you know, in junior high, and and we came here at Christmas time when I was in grade three. So trying to fit in at Christmas time mm. when kids have been going to school together for four months, it's really hard to fit in with that. Mm-hmm. So I never really did fit in with that, and I was pretty much a tomboy. So I would be hanging out with the boys, and I'd be fighting with the boys because I was angry, and I get into a fight pretty easy, and that's pretty much where you'd find me. Find me over there playing sports somewhere, but um, I just think that when I went to school, like I remember even in junior high school, some of the teachers taking me under their wing and looking after me. Mm. And, and at school, I think people cared about me, and at home, nobody knew whether I was
0: alive or not.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm.
0: Right? Yep. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? The, those adult, those teachers who did that for you, and what sort of care they gave you. Well, I, I
1: remember um, I was a the librarian at the junior high school. She was this tiny little older lady, and she was just a sweetheart. Mm. And for some reason, I would be in the library a lot, and she just took me under wing. I became a junior librarian, so she taught me how to run the library and how to look after it. And it was a group of kids that could do that. And I remember one morning I I was at school and my they called me to the principal's office over the loudspeaker. And <clears throat> that's never a good thing when you get called to the <laughs> principal's office over the loudspeaker. So I go in, there was me and another girl, they called and they said, the librarian is sick today and she wants you two to open the library and, and breaks, go to the library and at lunch, look after the library. So, I mean, somebody who trusted me enough to do something, that's a big job. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know... That was not trust I got at home to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. I remember another time I was in one class and um, one of the other teachers came and oh actually that librarian came and knocked on the door and called me out of class and just asked me if I was doing okay.
0: Wow. Right? Mm-hmm. Those things never happened at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh, That speaks to the power of teachers and and. People for that oh, can amazing, do good or right? good or bad. Yep, yep, yep. amazing. Um, did you find that some of that um, that positivity that they gave to you has that stood you in good stead in your adult life?
1: Um, I think that at the time I didn't realize what they were doing for me. If it's in hindsight where I can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in fear. Mm. of authority people like when that teacher knocked on the door and called me out of class I wasn't I thought I was in trouble mm-hmm. my name over that loudspeaker I was in trouble I was just whatever my name was called that was trouble yep and um and when they showed me I wasn't in trouble I don't think I knew what to do with that mm. and I'm not really sure that I even paid attention to that until later when I started to get healthy and going, wow! What those people did for me was amazing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And I'm, and I think that, you know, God takes care of me when I don't know how to take care of myself, and and He put those teachers in there for a reason.
0: Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and what were the consequences of getting in trouble at home? Oh. Well, I grew up in the day of um, spankings. Yep.
1: So there were many a times where we got spankings, and um, you know, you know, he was just—he only noticed us when we did something wrong. So whenever he noticed us, we knew we were in trouble.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Other than that, you know, if we're doing—if we weren't causing trouble, it was like back in the day where children should be seen and not heard. Yep. So I don't think he wanted to see us either. Mm-hmm. Um, I, You know, I remember one day he he told us, he said, he went down to the welfare office because he couldn't afford to feed us. And he went in there and they said, well, you have a job and you have this house and blah, blah, blah. And he says, you know, we we can't help you. And he got up and he said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go get my kids and bring them back here and give them to you because I can't feed them. <sighs> so he helped them. So he used us as pawns to get what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know how frustrating can that be for those people that deal with, you know, of course they wouldn't know that he was busy drinking mm. and not looking after his kids. But I mean, just crazy things that he would do.
0: That would, you know, we were just used mm-hmm. so as pawns. And so I think about it. Yep, and as you came into your adult life, so you've you've mentioned this fear of authority figures, any other um, consequences for you as a a young adult? Mm -hmm. I was
1: just always fearful of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, I would would like to shrink in the background and pretend I wasn't there, do what I had to do quietly. Anybody who knows me today probably doesn't think I know how to be quiet back then. You wouldn't have ever noticed I was around.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? I was always in the back corner somewhere. And as I started to get older and, you know, I, my and as we started to get into teenage years and partying and drinking and stuff, I was never a big partier. I was never a big drinker. And I and I don't smoke.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And so I didn't fit in. So even with my brothers and sisters, they were out partying and I was home. I would be home by myself. Mm. I'd be home in front of the TV. I lived in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had with the armchair and I would put the leaf from the table across it. And that's where I did my homework in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. And I was alone a lot. I've been a loner forever. Mm-hmm. And I, I just grew up fearful of life. And I knew when I was like 11 or 12, I told my aunt, I said, I'm never getting married and having kids. And she laughed at me. She said, just wait, you're still young. And um, so far I'm winning.
2: <laughs>
1: and just, it just, I watched how my father treated women and went, that's not going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. I've not allowed anybody to treat me the way that he, I watched him and his brothers and other people treat women. I just went, no, it's not going to happen. So I grew up scared of these things and, and it consequently turns out that I was terrified of life. Yeah. So I, I hid from it. Yeah. I hid from it for a long, long time.
0: Mm. Okay, um, I think um, we'll take a break there, Rhonda, and we'll come back and um, hear more of your story. So uh, just to um, take us into the break, I have got some music from Rufus Wainwright, Canadian singer, um, and this is his song called Out of the Game.
3: making all of the thin cards fall look at you, look at you Look at you, look at you, look.
0: There are now 189 people on hunger strike. 62 have sewn their lips together, including two women and five children. For Woomera, this isn't an unusual day.
2: We have an old saying in
0: Persia that says, there is no darker color than black. So we were in the camp, we have two options. Are they deporting us to back to
1: persecution, to prison, to death, or die in a camp. But I think you guys give us a third option, which is another try.
3: They bent like half cooked spaghetti. We didn't expect it to happen like that, to the soundtrack of Amélie, a popular French movie at the time, blowing across the desert from dusty speakers. The fence began to fall under the weight of people wanting justice. Under the weight of people that had had enough.
1: Join us for Woomera Stories on Monday, November 21st and November 28th at 6pm on 3CR. This
2: afternoon, already they've set up camp only 200 metres from the Woomera Detention Centre's main gate.
3: A proud black man, proud black man, you should not wonder.
0: Strong spirit, First Nations issues, families, people, and stories from a First Nations' perspective. Mondays at 1pm on 3CR. Prior black man, black man you should not wonder. This is a living free show on 3CR855 kilohertz on your AM radio dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you would like to listen to one of our many podcasts, then you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone, email or Twitter. I'm talking today with Rhonda, a member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon. Rhonda is joining us from Grand Prairie in Alberta, Canada. Welcome back, Rhonda. Thank you uh now uh you described before your uh, growing up with your alcoholic father when did you first realize that you needed to get some help for yourself uh well it was a, quite a
1: long time before I realized that what I was doing wasn't good so um i got to i was working for this company and the lady that owned the company had a member of Al-Anon and she knew my story a little bit about uh, living in the alcoholic world and um I was just angry and I would lash out at people and one day I said the wrong thing to the wrong person by the time this happened I was I was at the point where I knew that my anger was out of control I was so angry all the time and it was like a constant anger and I thought I could control it so I would say you know what I get up in the morning and go I'm just not going to be angry today. How hard can this be? And I'd go to work, and when somebody would come in to me, I would get angry, and then I would go, How do I, how come I can't do this? And um, I said, uh, I always said that I said the wrong thing to the wrong person one day, and she called and said, Come to my office. And when I went over there, she said, You need help. And I said, I know that. And she brought me to Alanon. And it took me a long time in Al-Anon to realize that I finally said the right thing to the right person where somebody mm. would do something about me. And somebody was there who cared enough to get me help. So I knew that I needed help. I just didn't know where to go. I'd never heard of Al-Anon. I had never heard of it. Mm. I had heard of AA. Yeah. Because my father told me one time he would go to AA and the number was written on the wall in the, in their house. But I'd never heard of Al-Anon. Mm. And when she, she brought me, I was 43 years old when I got here. So I spent a lot of years angry. Mm-hmm. So I was really a professional angry person by then. And did Alanon in fact, sorry, go on. In fact, as today is November 24th in Australia, it's my, 19 years ago. Today, I walked into my first Al-Anon meeting. Wow.
0: <laughs> Tell us about that first <laughs> meeting, um, Rhonda. What, what was your impression of it? Well, and she she said, I think you should start with
1: Al Anon and I said, Okay. She said, So if I find out when there's a meeting you'll go and I said yes, no, having no clue what it was about. And because God's such a funny guy, um, she called me within ten minutes and said, So there's a meeting tonight and it's right next door to where we work. Oh <laughs> really? So we went to I went to an Al Anon meeting that night and it was November twenty fourth in two thousand three. <laughs> and when we went there it never occurred to me that there might be somebody there I knew. And we went, the lady who had the key for the door wasn't there yet, so we were kind of waiting in a a stairway. And the lady above me, when I went in, was somebody I knew. We didn't like each other. Mm We dealt through sports and stuff, did not like each other, and I turned around to leave, and the person who brought me was on the stairs behind me, and I was trapped. And that's exactly how I felt. I felt trapped in that stairway. And then when the lady came and we went into the room, we sat at a table around the room and the lady who didn't like me, for some reason, sat right beside me. So I I was trapped between these two women all night long for another hour. I cannot honestly tell you what happened at that meeting, but what happened after the meeting is what made the difference for me. So at that time, um, after the meeting, they stood and we said the Lord's Prayer and we held hands. And the lady on my right was the lady that did not like me and I did not like her. And she leaned over to me after everything was done. And she said, don't be so hard on yourself. And I remember still feeling this big weight lift off me going, mm. oh, and a big sigh. And I can imagine how somebody who doesn't like me could be so nice to me. Mm. Right. But I also realize now that when I walked in the room, she knew why, why we didn't get along. And I, I don't have a clue yet.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and because that lady said that it made it easier for me to come back Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and I'll never, I'll never forget her saying that, that, that was the big deal for me.
0: It was amazing. And did that relationship, um, transform from one of enmity to friendship? Absolutely. Um,
1: we, she has now passed away, but we became friends and where I worked a lot of time was outside and stuff. And and she would walk by and we'd stand on the, on the sidewalk and have a conversation for half an hour. Mm-hmm. I, we became friends through this program which was amazing considering how much we did not like each other begin, before that
0: mm-hmm. it, it's pretty amazing Would you talk to the audience a bit now Rhonda about the principle and Alanon anon of anonymity and the idea we have of putting principles above personalities I, Well I, I still
1: struggle with principle above personality because <laughs> I, I said one time uh, at assembly that I'm still dealing with my personality over principles thing. And somebody yelled at me, you have it backwards. No, I don't. I know what I'm talking (laughs) about. So I, I understand the concept of it. Sometimes it's really hard to get past someone's personality. And when I, when I struggle with that, I think about how hard it was for people to get past my personality before I came to Mm Al-Anon and still like me. And I, it's always amazed me that I have, I have friends that I've had for over 40 years and why they stuck around when I was sick and angry and mean and ugly. They just said, because we knew that you were in there, just didn't Mm -hmm. know how to get to you.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, you know, and they they worked so hard to help me, and I'm forever grateful for them. Mm -hmm. But I know that um, people are people, and we all have different perspectives. And just because I don't particularly like one person doesn't mean – Because I've learned the lesson of those people probably have something to say that I should listen to. Mm -hmm. And the example is I I went into a meeting one night and this lady was there and everybody was so excited to see her. And I'd been coming for years. I'd never seen her before. Didn't know who she was, never heard of her. And for whatever reason, decided not to like her. (laughs) And when she would speak in a meeting, in my head, I'd be going, you know, just be quiet. Stop talking. Shut up. Nobody wants to hear you. And it was just me that didn't. And my sponsor, when I talked to her, she said, you need to show up, shut up, and listen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I went, okay. <laughs> and when that woman would speak, I had to literally imagine somebody else speaking, like pretend it was somebody else. And when I could do that, I could hear what she had to say. Mm-hmm. And her and I became friends also, and I've been to her house a few times. And it's like, when I get out of my way, the personality thing that I'm so hung up on is not a big deal principle of why we're all here matters and
0: those people that I don't want to hear probably have the biggest message for me Mm -hmm. so I'm hearing um, the kindness of um, things that you did to move beyond that anger Um, and I like what you say about getting out of your own way so can you talk a a little bit about that journey away from the anger towards a more uh, peaceful and tolerant uh, way of being (laughs) To be honest with you, I have no idea where the anger
1: went because I came to Al-Anon with the attitude that this won't work. And I sat in those rooms and I I was so stubborn and I was so sure it wouldn't work because I couldn't figure out how I couldn't, how I wasn't going to hurt every day. And I was literally wishing I would die every day. That's how my life went. I wanted to die every day because I just didn't like being here. And I sat in those rooms, and I'll bet you it was probably two years, and one day I realized I'm not mad all the time. So mm. I can't honestly, I, I don't think that I did any work to get rid of the anger. I think that God put me in an Al-Anon meeting every week because he knew that they could dispel the anger. And I've said that Al-Anon will work. It will work against your will come in, be stubborn, don't say a word, just show up, sit down and it'll work. It'll seep in against your will. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I think that's what happened. And once I realized that I wasn't angry all the time, then I started to actually apply the parts of the program Mm. that I needed to so that I could, I wasn't angry, but I still was feeling horrible inside. Mm. And when I realized that if you can change my anger, then maybe this program can help me change how I feel inside. Then mm. I just started to listen to what they were saying and and starting to, and then I got a sponsor after two years because I was stubborn about that because, you know, those steps, I'm not doing those. I've done them many times over, but I just needed to needed to learn somehow to quit being stubborn and think, this does work. Look at all these people. They're happy. It does work. Mm-hmm. And when I heard stories about how hurting and unhealthy they were when they come in and they're happy today, it has to work. But it will not work unless I apply it to myself.
0: Mm -hmm. And it sounds like even um, applying it might mean just turn up at a meeting and put your bum on the seat. Well, that's the first step. Yep. Right? It's the first step. Mm -hmm. And
1: if that's all I could do, it's all I could do for two years, that's what I did. And what I like about al is it's not a race. Uh, I love one lady said one time, she says, I'm glad they don't kick the slow ones out. <laughs> so it's not a race. I'm not competing against anybody. I I just, the, the biggest lesson I've learned for me is that I only have to be good enough for me and God. Mm-hmm. And no matter what I do, I'm good enough for God. So I only have to be good enough for me now. Mm-hmm. And um, all I have to do is, be better today than i was yesterday mm-hmm. and when i when i quit comparing myself to everybody
0: else life just got a whole lot easier
2: mm-hmm.
0: All right. uh, we're going to go now to another song ronda so we'll um i'll put on another rufus wainwright song i think um and uh when we come back um we'll have um a little bit more chat about i think we'll talk about the higher power a bit when we come back um, so here's Rufus Wainwright, and he's singing uh, Leonard Cohen's song Hallelujah. Perfect.
3: I've heard there was a secret card that David played, and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? Goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.
0: Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit emergency response service committed to assisting wildlife in need across Victoria. Our trained and dedicated volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned animals so they can be released back to their native habitat. If you see wildlife that may need our help, please contact us on 8400 7300. To donate or register to become a volunteer, hop onto our website at wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Panoply? Panorama? Panpipe? Pansy? Aha! Pansexual. Knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond... We'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope,
3: only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. Let's go, 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 go. let's go. let's eat. let's eat.
0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. This is a living free show on 3CR digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And we're talking with Rhonda about recovery from the effects of being close to someone with a problem of alcoholism. Um, Rhonda, just before you were talking about, um, you mentioned God and you were talking about um, the role that that played in your um, recovery. Um, I just want to read out something, Alan is not ally- allied with any sect, denomination, political entity, organization or institution, um, and does not engage in any controversy. Um, we do have that idea of a higher power, which some people choose to call God, um, but it doesn't have to be a Christian God or a God of any other denomination. Would you talk a little bit about what your concept of God is?
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Um, you know, I'd never heard the term higher power. Before I came to Al-Anon, never heard of it. What I knew about God was a church God, and I'd had a friend who spent probably a good two years—it was a few years before I came to Al-Anon—of trying to make me understand that God isn't a punishing God, and I couldn't wrap my head around it because in church all I'd ever heard is when I do something wrong, God will punish me. So that's what my understanding was, and they kept talking about higher power, and you know, in the steps and in the reading, it says a higher power. Of my understanding, and I couldn't wrap my head around all that and um one of our daily readers uh, that I read is called hope for today and and i I read it every day, so I read it every day for years and years and years, and then one day, the words on page ninety three in that book at the bottom, the words changed, and it said in there, "I've reached an understanding of God that I don't fully understand mm. and when i when I finally saw that, I went, "Oh. I don't have to figure out what this is. I don't need to have something I can see or touch or feel or hear. All I have to do is have faith that there is something guiding me that's bigger than me. Mm. And if that's the Al-Anon program, that's good enough. Because uh, it says of my understanding. So it doesn't have to be what anybody else thinks God is. Nothing to be the church it teaches me, it, it can be whatever I, I feel it is. So for me today, it's a faith that something knows more than I do for me. And you know those people that that have been in my life for 40 years that saw something in me that I couldn't see, they were my higher power. I just didn't understand it. I didn't put much faith in that. Today I have an understanding of a power that looks after me, that will guide me, no matter what I do, if I just get out of the way. And you now we talk about God's will or my will, and when my will gets in the way. God can't do anything. I always say if if God is my co pilot I should change seats and let him fly the plane and if I follow along, I do much better. And mm. my faith today in, in a higher power
0: is is amazing. It's amazing. Works for me. Can you if you got not to put you on the spot, have you got an example of, of it working in the last week or over the last nineteen years, or whatever? Well, okay, I, I've so earlier this year, I was
1: diagnosed with uterine cancer, hmm. and I, I when they when the lady said to me, "You have cancer," and I said, "Yeah, I know," and I said, "So what do we do?" So I needed to have a hy- hysterectomy, and um, if I needed treatment, there would be radiation. So through all this process, I just went, "Okay, it's going to be okay." I never had any fear. I never had any anxiety, I never lost sleep. I, I, I never had any issue about it. I just knew that God was going to take care of it. Mm-hmm. I just knew it was going to be okay. And I just, you know, um, because I work nights and sometimes, you know, everything is done. I'm sitting there at four o'clock in the morning going, and that's where my head could go crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I would think of this and I would just say, you know what, I can't do anything about it. It's four o'clock in the morning. God, you take care of it. And I would go do something else. Mm-hmm. And I never, I never had an issue. The the problem was that people I told were more scared for me than I was. I was never once scared through this whole process. Mm. I had the hysterectomy, um, and then I had my two-month checkup after, and there's no cancer in my body. I never had to have the treatment. God just took care of it all. Mm. And I I never had any pain from the surgery. I just went, God, you take care of it.
2: Mm.
1: And it was so easy for me. And it was like, Wow. No, a year ago, that might have been a different story. But today, it's like I just put it in his hands. Mm. When there's something going on, put it in his hands, good or bad. It's it's his, you know, he'll guide me through it as long as I let him. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing how that works coming
0: from not having any faith whatsoever. Sure. And did you have a faith that everything that you were going to be healthy after the surgery or just faith that either way you were going to be fine? Did you think about it in that much detail? I I just knew that it was going to, the hysteria was going to take it out. Mm-hmm. I
1: just, I just had absolute faith that I wasn't going to have to have any radiation treatment. I didn't have to, I didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. In fact, I say, I, I feel, feel like a fraud saying I had cancer because it was there and gone. And it's like, it was so easy mm-hmm. when people go through such hell with it. And I didn't have to do any of that. And I just went, in your hands, God. I, I just, I just had that feeling in me that I, I was going to be okay it was going to be gone. We're going to move on. It's Mm. because I have this feeling in me that God's not done with me yet. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, but there's this feeling in me that that he's got something coming for me. So I know that I'm going to be okay for now.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So, um, tell us a little bit more now then about other ways that you work the program, either by using, uh, the 12 steps or, or some other aspects of the program uh well um i got a sponsor and you know i need to
1: get a sponsor to help me guide me through it so i have a sponsor that i talk to every week um she doesn't live in my town she lives four hours away so we zoom meeting every week um you know i can pick up the phone when i came to alan on the phone weighed 900 pounds i couldn't pick up the phone and talk to anybody i could never let you know what it was like inside me my head because then you would think i was really nuts but now, you know, I, I don't care if you think I'm nuts. I just need someone to talk to. And I have friends that I can talk to. And, um, you know, I, I apply the steps. Um, those slogans, I used to hate the slogans with a passion, but we have slogans like, first things first. What do I have to do first to solve this problem? You know, um, just for today, stop worrying about tomorrow. I've learned that there's no such thing as tomorrow. And that's because by the time tomorrow gets here, it's today. All I have is today, deal with today, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, there's um, the steps that we talk about, put my faith in God, right? When my life gets unmanageable, what am I going to do about it? You know, I have these um, things that, you know, this anger, when I I notice I get angry, why are you angry? Why do you want to lash out somebody? What's a better option than doing that? Um, You know, um, carry this message to others. I'll talk to people about Al-Anon. I'm I'm not worried about anonymity. I will tell people, I'm an Al-Anon. This is what it's done for me. If you want help, here we are. You know, So I try to apply those steps. And there's another step where taking inventory every day. So what did I do today? Did I really do something that I should apologize for today? Did I hurt anybody in any way? Did I hurt myself in any way? What can I do different tomorrow? So I try to apply those all the time. And I, and I think that after so many years it becomes a way of life and I'm conscious of these things. I'm aware that I need to apply these these steps of this program or else I will slip back into being a sick person that I don't want to be anymore.
2: Mm.
0: And what about other members of your family, Rhonda? Did any of them find recovery? And um, And if so or if not, how is your relationship with them? uh i am the only one in recovery uh my
1: sister told me one day i've been in the in the program for a, a few years so and she knows what it's done for me and um she said to me i know i'm an alcoholic but i don't want your program and that, that was hard thing hmm. for me and i you know i just have to come to the point where she chooses to drink every day that's her choice and and i need to get out of her way so instead of trying to control her and force her to not drink Because my thought, remember when I said, I don't have to be angry today, how hard can it be? Mm -hmm. That was my thought about uh, drinking. Just don't drink today, how hard can it be? But I understand it now. Uh That's their choice to make. And once she starts drinking, she can't quit. I understand that. Um, I can be in her world, as long as I don't try to control what she's doing. uh, We get along great. Um, Nobody else is in recovery. Uh, My father, almost everyone in his family has died from the effects of drinking. There's only one brother and one sister left. And, um, you know, I just have to, I just let it go because I can't force him. I have a brother who likes his drugs and I don't fight with him about it anymore because it's just not worth it. If I want, you know, we have this expression, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? I'd like to be right, but I know that that's ridiculous because what I think is right is not what everyone else thinks is right. So I just want to be happy, and I don't fight with them anymore. And I let them do their thing, but I have a choice. I can either visit them in their world or just not visit them. And some days I can visit, and some days I can't, and it's okay.
0: Mm. And have they noticed the change in you, do you think? Has it given them some relief? Absolutely.
1: Uh, my sister is totally amazed. In fact, <laughs> I laughed one day. She said, I tell everybody, my sister's in Al-Anon. She's this big person in Al-Anon. She's so important And Nana, I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, you go to assembly and you go to um, these meetings all the time. So, you know, you're somebody important. I went, no, lots of people go to them. I'm, I'm just another person. I said, and by the way, it's anonymous. You can't tell everybody I'm in Al-Anon. She said, oh, I've been telling everybody for years that you're doing that, she said. And I went, okay. <laughs> I said so. I mean, she's she's happy and she's proud that I'm there, and she notices the difference in me. It's just not something she wants to do.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you accept that, and you're able now to have a, a relationship with someone who's a practicing alcoholic.
1: Yep, absolutely. In fact, I never spoke to my father for probably about thirty years, and um, the last two or three years of his life, we I I let it go and I went and talked to him, and we were friends when he passed away. So I'm I'm glad I did that. He was still drinking when he passed away. It's what killed him actually. But it was okay. Mm. It was okay. I mean, we were friends and I'm I'm grateful they lived long enough for me to get healthy enough to be able to do that. Yep. So but I don't have regrets today.
0: Don't have guilt or, or regrets. Right? Yep. Absolutely. Um there'll be people listening today, Rhonda, that are struggling with this uh urge to fix, manage and control an, an alcoholic or an addict. Um, because it's very painful to watch people uh, destroy themselves. Um, what message or messages could you give to them?
1: For somebody who is, is new in this, I love, um, we have a saying called the three C's. And whenever I have a newcomer in a meeting, I want to read the page out of our book. It's about the three C's, which says, I did not cause that person to drink. No matter how much I feel like I did or how much they blame me, I cannot control what they do and I cannot cure their drinking. So to me, if, if I can wrap my head around that and going, they do that, um, they say alcoholics drink because they're alcoholics, not because of something I said or did. And no matter what I say or do, I cannot control that and I can't change it. So to me, it's like if you're hurting from somebody else's drinking and the only qualifier I have is me, I have a problem with someone else's drinking. My alcoholics don't have a problem with their drinking. Mm-hmm. I do. And if, mm-hmm. if I have a problem, if you have a problem with someone's drinking, just come and sit at a meeting. Right, come and sit at the meeting. And I've learned that my first meeting wasn't the hard one to go to. Um, my second one was because I knew what I was going to the next time. Uh-huh. And if I could go back to the second one, then I, that says that I want help. Mm. And, you know, and just remember that, you know what, y- Everybody's recovery is different. It's not, it's not a race and it's not a you have to do this. And that's what I love about Al-Anon. They don't say you have to do this. They say if you want to get better, these are the things that will help you.
0: Mm. Okay. Um, just come- So we've, we're nearly at the end of our conversation. Um, is there anything else you would like to say? You could talk about anything else that's helped you in Al-Anon just for the last two minutes? I just uh, I
1: just know that when um, that lady brought me to Al-Anon, she came with me the first meeting and sat with me and just cared enough to bring me here. I know that I've carried the message a time or two because uh, one lady that I worked with, I told her about it. She came to a meeting and never came back for 10 years. And 10 years later, she walked into the room because she'd heard about it. And it's just planting the seed. Hmm. If if you're struggling with somebody's drinking Just give it a try. There's no guarantees. There's no have tos. There's no musts. Just give it a try. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It will help. I know it will help Mm -hmm. because I'm living proof. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much, Rhonda, for having this conversation. Um, That's all we've got time for. So um, uh, thanks again, Rhonda, for sharing your experience with us. Thank you for inviting me and for the opportunity. Appreciate it. You're welcome. If you're concerned about drinking in a relative or friend and would like to find out more about Alanon family groups, then you can phone them on 1300 252 666 or go online at alanon.org.au. Coming up next, we have Balonoir, The Spirit of War, hosted by Uncle Taljum Choco Edwards. Uncle Choco, uh, join Uncle Choco on a journey of belonging and movement through sing alongs and yarns. Um, Thanks for listening stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. Um, And to take us out, we have got a song by Yothu Yindi. Um, And this song is called, um, actually we'll play Treaty, Treaty by um, Kucha Edwards um, and Shelley Moore. Um, So here it is.